Hello and welcome to Searching for Service, brought to you by Rotary District 5950 and 5960. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joe Kirk. And before we dive into who our next guest is for Searching for Service, Joe is going to remind all of our listeners of our purpose. purpose. Yeah, our purpose here on Searching for Service is connecting Rotarians and non-Rotarians to service opportunities. And how we do it on the show is we interview amazing guests like Mike, we're excited to have you on and, you know, really learn about projects that they've done, their connection to Rotary, the the organizations that they represent. And we hope that it inspires you to serve. So that's what we do here at Searching for Service. That was that was wonderful. Thank you so much. I am a wonderful person. Welcome, <laughs> Mike Tickenen. He is the founder and keynote speaker for... Kara, I'm going to say Kara, Kids at Risk Action. And there is also a component of this called Invisible Children Campus Program. So Mike, we are so enthused and happy to have you on. Thank you for taking time out of your afternoon. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Well, really, let's take this opportunity for this first section to get to know you. And so um, tell us, where are you from? Born and raised in Minneapolis. I went to school in Warren State. Um, a little while in Fridley, now we're in Minnetonka. So you've just kind of traveled around the metro. <laughs> I don't want to go too far. Yeah. I don't blame you. We're, okay. we're both in Edina, so we, we stay real close to the city. Yeah, we're not, we're not traveling too far. So. No offense for all you uh, outstate folks out there. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about how you are connected to Rotary. How did you get connected to Rotary? Public speaking and a dear friend, one of your members funded us and has for many, many years. Oh, do you uh, dare share who that person is? It, Joe Riley. He's a, a wonderful man. Yeah. I don't know. He's, okay. yeah, yeah, he was downtown. And okay. uh, he still helps us when we need help. And, and Mike, have you ever been a Rotarian yourself? No, I, I, for a while, was a Kiwanis, but I, when I started this, and it's a long time ago, it has consumed all of me. Sure. I don't do any work anymore outside of this, <clears throat> and uh, I am single-mindedly focused. You know, I, I want to take this quick opportunity um, to share with our listeners what a Kiwanist is. Can you explain what that means? Because it it is a nice tie-in to service. And so can you share with our listeners what that means? I think they are similar in their desire to help the community. You know, we did park cleaning, tree planting, things like that. And you really become part of your community that way. I highly recommend you and Rotarians. And it just, we... We, we want to find a way to give back a little bit, and that's a, a way to do it. Well, and what we really love about this show is it's, it's, you know, obviously Rotary puts it on, but, you know, our goal of our show is to really align people into service. So, mm-hmm. it, and people find it in other different ways. And you know, we actually recently had a guest on that, you know, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm not a Rotarian, but, you know, I'm, I'm considering joining. And we're like, not a big deal. It's yeah. what, what this show is all about is highlighting you and how you give back. And, you know, kids at risk um, action, you know, I, I'm excited to hear more about this in the next segment. But, you know, how did you go about starting 
or what brought you to that point of uh, founding that organization? A friend talked me into becoming a volunteer community Casa Guardian ad litem. And that, well, that's a representative for a child in court that's being taken away from their birth home. Okay. Okay. And it's a learning process. And being at the time a 40-year-old male that thought he could do anything, <laughs> I've learned all of life's lessons again and again and again. Mm. Very few people know about this, the depth and scope of the problems these children have, the impact mm. they're having on our communities. You know, it's just like once I got my toe in, I followed dramatically into it and have been writing and speaking and doing since 1996, really, is when I got involved. Very good. You know, and tell us a little bit more about your background. Like, you said Moorhead for school, correct? What did you study? Yeah. I'm an English major. English major. <laughs> okay. I love to write. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. Have you written any books or have written... I have. It's on our website, invisiblechildren.org. It's an audio book. You can listen to it or you mm. can, I think, $3 for an ebook. Oh, you know? fabulous. We'll make sure to link that in the show page for sure. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Can you sell you a couple more uh, copies of that. I mean, I'm probably going to download that. <laughs> I was just going to say, you, you're in yeah. good company here. Joe is, uh, he loves his audio books. Yeah, so much. I consume about a hundred of them a year. So, <laughs> so you've you've made the connection to um, Rotary and knowing a Rotarian. Um, I am I'm curious though, how is it that you got connected to Lloyd Campbell? Well, I believe Aiden Prairie uh, Rotary, who has also helped us, Mike Thomas, uh, oh, sure. has has got me talking to different Rotary groups. And I've probably presented 40 times in the last couple of years uh, about our programs and what, you know, what we're doing and bringing attention to these kids that really do need our attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think it's actually, you know, a, appropriate time to really dive into, um, you know, what exactly Kids at Risk Action does. Like, I think, I think this, now is the time to talk yeah. about it and we can go a little deeper into it in the next segment. Well, to start with, uh, when I started public speaking in the early 2000s, nobody knew what I was talking about. And people would cry. And uh, I tell stories. I, I removed about 50 children from toxic homes or helped to remove. And I don't have happy stories. I just have terrible stories of kids that shouldn't have had to live with what they lived with. And we don't want to blame parents because most of the time they grew up there. Yeah. Generational yeah. child abuse is really what we're talking about and the mental health issues, the traumas that come with that. Yeah. So the way to fix it is to address it and to help these kids. And first, before you can do that, before you can help them, you have to understand where they come from, what their issues are. And it is complicated. You know, mm -hmm. the mental health issues that come with this territory are biological. It's the amygdala, the what do you call it, the thinking part of the brain, yep. the critical mm -hmm. part, of, thinking part of the brain kind of gives up and these kids do terrible behavior things. And uh, I tell people that they're impacting our schools, our public safety, our public health. And we would do well to just treat them the way they need to be treated. The punishment model has just made things so much more, it's just so much worse. It's it just, they're in jail, they spend, our Supreme Court Justice Kathleen Blatz has made the statement that 
90% of the kids in juvenile justice have come through child protective services. Yeah. Yeah, first, we, we've ahead. had a, we've had a nonprofit organization called the Real Hope Project, and that was one of one of the statistics that absolutely blew my mind. Ninety percent from broken homes, essentially, right? I mean, it's from and how the cycle just repeats and it itself, just keeps replenishing. Mm-hmm. And one of our other statements is the difference between that poor child and a felon is about eight years. My board member, Damon Casina, says the difference between that poor child and a preteen mom with a drug habit, a violent boyfriend, and no parenting skills is about eight years. Again, I work with so many of these kids. My heart goes out to them. If we get to them and help them, good things happen. Bad things stop happening. Mm -hmm. That's my hope with the Kids at Risk Action program. Well, and how specifically do you help um, the children uh, specifically, like how, how, what, what are the specific things that you guys do? Okay, let's talk about what has to happen because we are built as a punishment-oriented society. You're right. And I want you to think about what it's like to be taken out of your home by a judge, the only family you've ever known, and the horrid things that must have happened to you in that home. Mm-hmm. And when you've been punished by the most important authoritative figure in your life and your mind is different now and your behaviors are different now i will promise you this if you continue to punish them they will hate you more they will you know they've already put the bricks in the wall that they can't deal with life the way it is here now Mm -hmm. and so you're in a foster home somewhere with somebody you don't know never seen before there may be biological children and you have a lack of skills. Really, most of these kids grow up without a lot of things because they're in homes with a lot of violence, you know, sex abuse, drugs. And so they're trying to normalize through school and they, that doesn't work so well hmm. without help. And so what do you do specifically? Well, the first thing you do is you learn about the ACEs healing models, the medical community. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but adverse no. childhood no. experiences. Yes, no? No, no. we're not. Okay. This is a huge deal. Uh, Not many people also know about the DSM, which is the Encyclopedia of of, of Mental Health in America, $60 million. It's used internationally. It really is going to, in my mind, be replaced by the ACEs healing model. Hmm. It's traumatized children and people. We've learned about this from the veterans. We've learned when they come back from war, they have PTSD. We give things names that really shouldn't. They don't represent the thing we're talking about. What we're talking about is back to that peanut-sized part of your brain called amygdala that takes over your decision-making because you've been... Such trauma has happened to you that a biological change has occurred. Mm. And so you're making decisions based on that reptilian part of your brain that strikes out, hurts people, hurts yourself. It's not rational. And again, it takes help. A healing model, the ACEs healing model. They have a measurement tool. They can tell how traumatized a person has been. And, uh, you know, and there are ways of helping kids get back to where they need to be. But that's one big thing that has to happen. That, what a great, what a great yeah. place to end the first segment because we'll go right back into um, a little bit more about what the organization does here right after the break. But uh, I'm Kelly Kirk, and I'm Joe Kirk, and you're listening to Searching for Service. 
Rotary is a place for all community-minded people who want to serve their areas with the support of an international organization. Join Rotary to find service. Join Rotary to find inclusion. Join Rotary to find leadership. Join Rotary to find fun. Join Rotary to find friendship. Join Rotary to find a better version of the world. Find a Rotary club near you at rotary.org and click on Club Finder. There is a club out there for everyone. Find your fit with Rotary. Rotary Rotary.org. For decades, eradicating polio worldwide has been Rotary's cornerstone cause. We are incredibly close to ridding the globe of this virus, but we need everyone's help to get us to the goal. World Polio Day is October 24th. Please consider making a new donation to Polio Plus or increasing your already generous giving. Go to npolio.org to be a part of this historical eradication of polio. You will help get vaccinations to the most remote parts of our world and help fulfill a promise we made to end polio now. Two drops and it stops. Hello and welcome back to Searching for Service brought to you by Rotary District 5950 and 5960. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joe Kirk. As a reminder, you can find us on your favorite podcast platforms and... You can find us by searching, searching for service, and you'll find us. Listen, and- like, and comment. <laughs> Love it. Five gold stars. <laughs> Five gold stars. If you are tuning in for the first time, we have founder and keynote speaker of Kids at Risk Action Program, Mike Tickenin. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yes, our pleasure. Yeah, sorry we had to cut you off a little bit sooner than probably. Well, actually, it was a pretty nice no, ending point. Had, but, yeah. you know, it, it's interesting um, when you talk about what exactly you guys do and what models. you. And it was the mm-hmm. ACE model, correct, that you? ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Okay, ACEs. Yeah, that, that's Thank the you. first time that I've ever heard of yep, it. So I, it's, it's interesting. So why don't we just keep going on that and talk a little bit more mm-hmm. about, you know, how you serve these, how you reach these folks and, and these kids. And, and Well, the, since the beginning, we've been doing a lot of public speaking and writing, social media, those things. We've actually talked at the UN in New York, uh, Prison Wardens Conference, many others, and, and a lot of community and business groups. The idea is that these kids don't have a voice in the homes they live in. They don't have a voice in the media. They don't have a voice at the state house. Nobody knows anything about them. It is invisible. Hmm. They live with years and years of abuse before somebody somehow reports them and child protection gets involved. And child protection itself is overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. There's a big battle going on right now in the Minnesota about the Catholic Guardian Lightroom program that I come from. Uh, they're basically trying to eliminate the volunteer program because it's harder to manage than the other one. But mm. if you look at well, the work we do, you know, spending whole days with kids. I mean, we took only three cases. Some take four, five, or six, but because we're volunteers and we really do want to have an impact on the lives of the kids that we're working with, we don't take... There's 950 volunteer cases around the country. We only wow. take a few cases. And you really do get to know your kids, their families, and, and you know, anyways... Uh, so the system itself, Minnesota used to be a leader, a real leader in this space. And compared to most of the southern states, we still are. But the generational child abuse has grown. I'll give you some numbers, not to make your head spin, but uh, there's 3.9 children per family in Hennepin County Child Protective Services now for each case. Wow. So if you multiply that by the 3.5 million calls reports of child abuse 
in the system every year. That's between uh, 14 and 16 million kids a year reported to Child Protective Services. And if you think about the difference between watching your brother, sister, or mother raped or beaten or starved and being baked or any of those things, uh, it's not much difference as far as trauma goes. It's not much different. And the fact is it goes on and on and on and on. These are not one-offs. These are not one-offs. This is family behavior from history and generations past. So it's a huge problem. There's only 80 million kids in the country. And if you compile this over time, you can understand how the jails got full. Sure. You know we have more jails. All all that. I mean, we have a punishment model that goes back to burning witches. Uh, We really do. Our police are militarized. And it just that's all part of what we are today. And the faster we represent the impact of trauma on children and others, and what happens, they don't, it doesn't get fixed when they get put into a foster home. Hmm. Right. As a matter of fact, that's another traumatizing event. People sure. you don't know, you wake up in the morning and what do you do? You don't fit in and you feel like a burden. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking out of turn, it's kind of harsh and I feel bad about this, but for the rest of us to appreciate foster kids, foster children, foster families, and, and, and just the whole idea of adoption and taking care of people, it, it's hard. Mm. It's really hard. Think and about so, living an uncomfortable day every single day. Like, yeah. Yeah. And aging out. I yeah. mean, kids that don't have a family when they're 19, 20 years old and they're out of the system now. Yeah. yeah. Um, the answers are coming, but slowly. And the system really is overstressed. Yeah. And the social workers are killing themselves. They got 30, 40 cases in some cases, 100, 150 kids. How do you keep them safe? And I'm going to mention to you an investigative report that was just finished in this state by Safe Passages of Minnesota. It shows how many kids are dying in this state while in Child Protective Services. Anybody that e- emails me, mike at invisiblechildren.org, I'll send you that report. And okay. everyone yeah, we can link it in the show page as well. Yeah, everyone, everybody should know that because, you know, the only time these kids make the paper is when they're dead. And this report, while it only shows 88 kids uh, killed recently uh, by their caregivers, while known to Child Protective Services, only 40, so, 40, case, 40 counties co- uh, cooperated, and they only shared information that was already public. Part of the problem is the circling of the wagons of institutions and sure. commons, and that's one yeah. of the things that happened here. But um, four counties didn't participate at all, refused to help. And really, if you key off those numbers, and you read those stories about what happened to those children and how they died a tortured death over time, you know, you'll understand that for everyone that died, there's 100 to 200 kids that live just absolutely horrific lives right. that need our help. Well, and it's so, interesting, uh, like, so, so something I'm really curious about, Mike, and you mentioned it earlier, is you, you talked about how you spend a day with these, you know, like how you've selected three kids and then you spend full days with them. You know, what is a typical day like that look like? And, and you know, like, what do you hope it... Okay, pre- well, the, the distinction I wish to make, and I'll, I'll tell you how I spent those days in a minute, but the distinction I wish to make with that comment was that paid staff, there's three kinds of guardians. There's the uh, lawyer guardian that never meets the family and probably rarely sees the kid unless the kid is of age and it's in the courtroom for a few minutes. Hmm. And then there's this staff guardian that has 30 cases maybe and 100, 150 kids. And half your time is spent doing paperwork anyway. So you've got 20 hours a week to be with 100 or a month to be with 100 some kids. Whereas I and guardians at Lightums in the CASA volunteer program 
only take three cases. Right. And we do it with purpose because we know these kids need more than they're getting. And that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when a boy was stuck in Austin, Minnesota, and I visited him every month, I got in my car, I drove for an hour and a half, two, maybe even two and a half hours down there, spent the day with him walking in a park and talking. And then there was a girl at Glencoe and there's somebody in Bemidji. So I had the time mm -hmm. to spend with those children. And, and for anybody to think that's not important is wrong. Adults come and go. Once you're in child protection as a child, you've got teachers and health workers and people that come and go, adults in your life, but nobody sticks. And you don't get the time. So, I mean, we have a system now that is overwhelmed and they're trying to do what they can for efficiency. And I understand and bless them. They're in, they're in a tough business. They're doing what they can. But for us at this time in this nation, just look at the prison. Just look at the public streets, the carjackings. Most violent crime, most carjackings are my kids. Wow. And they're going to stay that way until they get help. And as a life of crime, think what it costs us. I'm trying to do an economic model on this as part of what CARA does. And that shows you that these kids come into juvenile and child protection, passing into juvenile justice, then into criminal justice, and they can have 50, 60 years of institutionalization and right. hurting people all along the way, right. leading miserable lives. I know a lot of them. You know, it's just we need to understand the economics of it as well as the moral parts of it. Well, let me ask you, Mike, we, you know, we've got a pretty large audience and, you know, our audience is listening to, to your story. And, you know, if, if they're being inspired by, by your words to want to take action, what would you recommend that they should do? Yeah. Well, anybody <clears throat> that belongs to a, a business or religious group can join you know, they've got a, a, some kind of a community organization and focus on fostered youth, kids in child protective services, mental health. The, it's the mental health issue. The trauma informed is a big, big deal. Mm -hmm. The faster we as a society begin to understand what mental health really is, it is not the labeling in the DSM. I, I could okay. tell you chapter and verse how that doesn't work for my kids. And the whole idea of sticking uniformed officers in, in uh, you know, in, in schools, in, it, it just, there are trigger points these kids have, authoritative figures. They don't need any more authoritative figures uh, punishing them. They've been punished <laughs> enough. So we have to come up with ways and thinking in their, in their if, you, if, if you understand the trauma-informed approach to these kids, it'll go a long way uh, towards helping them get the skills uh, that they need to manage their issues and lead a good life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 such a heavy it's subject, a heavy, right? very it's, heavy subject. So, you know, again, so what do you think? I'm a listener and I'm going, I want to get involved and I want to get involved today. Where do I go? Well, I can list a number of nonprofits that are wonderful. I love uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Safe Passage for Children does something at the yeah. Safe Passage for Minnesota Children does something at the, the State House every year, uh, and they're doing huge things too. Uh, and again, back to uh, any organization. If you've got foster friends, foster family friends, adopted family friends, you know their lives are hard now. Mm -hmm. You know what it's like because the behaviors these kids bring into your families are difficult, and you have to be a very patient person. So supporting the people that are doing the work, whether it be teachers, social workers, law enforcement, I feel sorry for cops. 
the last time I cried spontaneously uh, was when a 14-year-old got out of my car. He'd been with me for seven years, tried to kill himself a number of times. Uh, he said he was going to suicide by cop that day. And it just tore me apart. I mean, I, and they, you know, that's what happens. And so cops are dealing with this stuff every day. And we as a people need to know that that's, that should not be their job. Yeah, They're not yeah. mental health workers. Let's fix that. Yeah, that's... Well, and I think slowly but surely we're starting to learn that lesson. And, you know, we really thank you for being a proponent for, you know, these this invisible segment of the, the community. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the, maybe a success story that you could share in the next segment. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joe Kirk. And, and you're listening is- to Searching for Service. For decades, eradicating polio worldwide has been Rotary's cornerstone cause. We are incredibly close to ridding the globe of this virus, but we need everyone's help to get us to the goal. World Polio Day is October 24th. Please consider making a new donation to Polio Plus or increasing your already generous giving. Go to endpolio.org to be a part of this historical eradication of polio. You will help get vaccinations to the most remote parts of our world and help fulfill a promise we made to end polio now. Two drops and it stops. Of the things we think, say, or do. Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendship? Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? Join Rotary to serve your community and the world with honesty, fairness, and goodwill. Our four-way test guides our actions every day. Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? These values underpin our commitment to making a positive impact on the world. Learn more about your local Rotary Club and stop searching and start serving. And the song you're hearing now was performed by Rotary Club of Dar es Salaam Oyster Bay. Hello and welcome back to Searching for Service, brought to you by Rotary District 5950 and 5960. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joe Kirk. And as a reminder, you can find us on your favorite podcast platforms. And we love five-star reviews, likes, and comments. (laughs) Shares, I think, is what Chad would say, too. Yes. (laughs) So if you are tuning in for the first time, we have Mike Tanaki. Tikkanen, I'm so sorry, Tikkanen, um, who is the founder and keynote speaker for CARA, which um, is an acronym for Kids at Risk Action Program. And so, um, Mike, thank you again for hopping on with us and talking a little bit more in depth about the CARA program. Um, we we ended that last section, truth be told, it's, it's a heavy topic. It really is. And it's very incredibly um, evident that you are passionate about this. Mm-hmm. With the heaviness, we do want to, let's counter that. Let's talk a little bit about some success stories that you have seen because, you know, it's you're so taking easy. T- it's so easy to, that systematically you look at it and you see the, the cracks and the breaks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think it really um, undermines the work that you're doing because, yeah. You know, you're doing amazing things for, and you probably wish you could do it for a hundred times as many kids, but we'd love to hear some of the success stories that you have. Yeah. 
I think it comes an example of a man standing up at a Rotary meeting I had many years ago when uh, I'd given a 15 to 20 minute talk and, and a few people stood up and told their own stories and he stood up and he told his story and it was a remarkable story of being a foster child uh, with, with an older couple that took a in and you know that's what they need. They need uh, understanding patient people and skill building. Uh, this isn't rocket science so much as it's counterintuitive to who we are. Mm -hmm. Again, back to the punishment model. We put you in jail. We punish you. You didn't do this. You got to do that. And again, they think differently than we do. So their reaction, I have a boy with, you know, I know the happy stories are hard to come by. Uh, that's the crusade I'm on now is to show people that the financial literacy program we have for kids that uh, most kids don't have any concept of money that have been through the system, child, child abuse. Uh, and so we help them in a peer group program, get to trust each other, uh, learn about where the rocks are, how to get rid of the judgments, paid on their credit card bills, uh, not drink so many lattes and put two bucks a week away for a wealth building program. Mm -hmm. Things like that. So it's, again, not rocket science. It's things they need. Let's make sure. that stuff available. Rotary's been very helpful. I should say that with that. Uh, uh, Eden Cray fellow, Mike Thomas, has really helped uh, be get, get the word out to, I'm going to say thousands of people, or at least yes. many hundreds. Uh, and that once we begin to understand what their needs are and we can fashion things to help them get there, uh, it's going to make a difference in how many kids are arrested, how many kids go to jail, how many preteen and teen moms without parenting skills. It will make a difference because mm -hmm. we know how to help them. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it feels like the tidal wave, I'm sure, for you. And, you know, I I think it's cool to hear about the financial literacy and the, the simple concepts that there's a lot of kids that don't yeah. experience. Well, and all of that plays such an incredible role in building a foundation for them and seeing like successes for themselves, right? So. Yeah, they know it when they see it. If you can help uh, a child, uh, that was my role as a guardian why I loved it so much <laughs> because I was in their life for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they begin to trust me. And they, that's the thing, they don't trust anybody and they shouldn't trust anybody. They haven't had good luck with that. Sure. And so, and that's the thing they carry with them into, into adulthood. So we, uh, as you know, as Casa Guardians at Light, don't have time time for them. Make time for them, and more of us can do that through mentoring programs. That's where the success lies. If they can get to meet normal, understand, and they want that. Once they see that, they know what it is, and they want that, hmm. and they'll work hard to get that. They have a lot to overcome, but they do. You know, if they have the support of of the family of the of the adults in their lives. So it's so it's exposure to normalcy is what you're tr trying to say. Is they need good? adults in their lives yeah. that lead good lives. Yeah, yeah. That, lead that, that lead by example. Yeah. Hmm. Again, I feel sorry for the parents because they grew up in a place they didn't have that, and they went on right. to have what they had. And a lot of them are in and out of jail. A lot of them have drug and alcohol problems. Yeah. Well, I think that that's an interesting place that we can talk about too. Is on the parents' side because I mean we're we're both parents. Yeah. And <laughs> if you have somebody out there that's listening to this, that's that maybe struggles with some of this or has identified that they have generational trauma and, mm -hmm. you know, abuse in their life and they're trying to break away from it, especially to their children. 
you know, what advice do you give to them? Well, there are groups. PACER is the name of the one that was ACEs. And uh, just getting involved a little bit in the ACEs movement will go a long way to understanding the underlying realities that we're living with that we didn't used to talk about that seemed to be brand new. But they've been with us for a long time. You think of how many soldiers, veterans kill themselves every year. That's been going on a long time. That's mm -hmm. trauma. That's what it does to you. And if it's not addressed and those poor people, you know, they haven't had their help that, that is now showing up. And, it, and it, we need to talk about these things. I think that's a part of it. Just being able to talk about these things without bias. Yeah. Trying to understand that mental health is a thing that we all struggle with at some level. We're complex beings. We all have some nutsy behaviors. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of accept, accepting uh, the people that we're living with and meeting and working with and, and being helpful when we can. <laughs> That might have been the best best bit of advice I've gotten in a long time. Like we all, we all have our uh, interesting situations that we have to deal with, and yeah. these kids specifically have. You know, like the the biggest thing in, in listening to to the story is, you know, we all have a lot of privilege in the sense of we we have some level of voice and presence. Like, they're invisible, yeah. like, truly. And they don't even know that they're invisible. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, this generational trauma that happens to these kids, and they're unaware of it. And it's – and then, like you said, these, these authority figures then, like, the, the association – I love the, the – the, how you were able to, to characterize it, how we kind of get into our reptile brain of, like, mm -hmm. the, the, the feast or famine and, uh, you know, the, the flight – flight – fight or flight mechanism and how this is being triggered in these kids pretty much subconsciously because they just don't have any other trust mechanisms and things like that yeah. built up from adults and people with stable lives mm -hmm. to help them. And, you know, I, I, I see, I, and, and it's, it's really interesting, Mike, you, you can hear kind of, you, you know, the, the weight in your voice and, Mm -hmm. You can tell that you've you've had a lot of experience around a lot of the negative uh, outcomes. And, you know, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit is like, what do you hope? What do you hope is the, the change that can happen here with in the short term? We'll just say for these kids, because it's, it's really interesting. Your, your, your message is a PSA. PSA. It's everybody. Yeah. I mean, everybody can associate with this message on some level, but but specifically for this organization, you know, what do you hope in the short term is a win? Uh, the big win will be when state representatives grasp the depth and scope of the issue, and that starts. I can start with economics. It's mm -hmm. horrifically expensive. Horrifically, nobody understands. We throw money in a direction. And we hope for the best. This old model, institutionally, it's not working for the police either. I yep. feel sorry for the police. I mentioned that, you know, in Roseville and Falcon Heights, where there's been some police shootings over there that were terrible. You know, they were trained that way. Trained to empty their gun into a victim with a three-year-old in the backseat. Trained to do these things. And it's terrible training. It's not right. We have had these old institutional norms going forward. And child protection has the same thing here. 
what we're doing is looking for efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. So now we think you can handle 150 kids or 100 kids. And now if they take this volunteer program away, for instance, it's been here for 40 years, 10,000 people like me. When the budget goes down, those social workers are going to be asked to work with 150 kids. Ugh. And they you know, just can't sustain kids. it. That's it's And if you read that report that I talk about, about the dead children, uh, while known to child protective, murdered in child protective by their caregivers, you're going to realize that it ain't working now, it didn't work then, and it's not going to work in the future. We need, we need people that the state reps have got to wake up and see that. This is not a small issue. The right. fact is these kids have no voice, and that's what's wrong. They don't have the money for a lobby. And I appeal to the state reps. They're, they're being bombarded by big money every day over all these things. Our politics are so mm-hmm. nasty. Mm-hmm. But these kids are silently living in these homes, getting more and more abuse. COVID really put them in a they, they oh, lockdown yeah. in toxic homes for a year or more at a home with really dysfunctional families. And that's going to be a wave that comes through our system for years to come. You know, Mike, I think in the next segment here, we've got about a minute left in this one. I want to talk a little bit about COVID and how it did impact that system. Because, you know, we talk about it impacting so many different, you know, we talk about how it impacted the schools and how it's impacted business, how it's impacted, you know, people's lives. But But not the dynamic of a family. but, But we also don't talk about how it impacted the foster system. Yeah. And how... These kids are trapped in really, really terrible situations mm-hmm. sometimes. And so in the next segment, I'd love to dive into a little bit of how how kind of that world changed a little bit with COVID. Does that sound good to you? You bet. Sounds good. As a reminder, you are listening to Searching for a Service. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joe Kirk. We'll see you in the next segment. Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concern? Will it build good? Will it better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? When we pay it forward, it will be returned. Join Rotary to serve your community and the world with honesty, fairness, and goodwill. Our four-way test guides our actions every day. Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? These values underpin our commitment to making a positive impact on the world. Learn more about your local Rotary Club and stop searching and start serving. And the song you're hearing right now was performed by the Rotary Club of Saskatoon, Natuna in Canada. When we take it forward, it will be returned. Rotary is a place for all community-minded people who want to serve their areas with the support of an international organization. Join Rotary to find service. Join Rotary to find inclusion. Join Rotary to find leadership. Join Rotary to find fun. Join Rotary to find friendship. Join Rotary to find a better version of the world. Find a Rotary Club near you at rotary.org and click on Club Finder. There is a club out there for everyone. Find your fit with Rotary. Rotary Rotary.org. Hello and welcome back to Searching for Service, brought to you by Rotary District 5950 and 5960. I'm Kelly Kirk. I'm Joe Kirk. As a reminder, you can find us on your favorite podcast platforms and... 
and uh, type in searching for service and you will find us on any of the platforms. And we love five-star reviews. If you are tuning in for the first time, we have Mike Tickenen, who is the founder and keynote speaker for CARA, which stands for Kids at Risk Action Program. Um, and also has the Invisible Children Campus Program as well. We ended our last section talking about um, the impacts of COVID um, and how how that may have impacted the foster care system. And so we're going to just continue on that trend. Yeah, let's just talk a little bit more about that, Mike, and just because you'd made mention to it and how it really kind of exacerbated the problem that we're seeing in um, – in that system. So can you, can you kind of walk us through, you know, what, how was COVID for a foster child? Think about being a struggling family to start with. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden your work is confused with the child at home and you were just making ends meet to start with. And you maybe had half an alcohol problem or, or some domestic violence. Some of that just, you were getting by. Now you don't get by anymore because the level of stress under those circumstances over that two year period broke a lot of people, people that probably could have been all right had that not happened. Mm -hmm. And so these kids, and I'm gonna go into Northern Minnesota and rural America in general, where there are no services. You know, there are some drop off services for overwhelmed parents here in the the Metro. The big counties have a little money and can do a few things. But when you get to uh, Northern Minnesota, Southern Minnesota, rural America, all of a sudden, they don't have good bandwidth on their laptops to do education that way. And they can't go to school. So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Think about what people have lived through there. And alcohol and drugs become a bigger part of the equation. And when that starts to happen and, and you know, tempers and, and adults that are stressed. So kids did get abused. There, wasn't many, there weren't much reporting because there were no mandated reporters. Teachers were the mandated reporters. And so it looked like everything was just fine. Well, it wasn't just fine. There was a lot of domestic violence, a lot of child abuse, a lot of trauma. And those kids now, the recent thing, even in Minneapolis, it showed the last uh, study of math uh, performance uh, for black third graders was at 10%. It's never been good. When I wrote the book in 2005, my first book, uh, it showed that I'm trying to think of the number. I think I, I, it's slipping my mind now, but I, I think it was one third of American. It was more than one third. It was, it was one third of American high school graduates could not find the Pacific Ocean on a map. One third of them could not find Florida on a map. And we've come through and, you know, educators are doing their best. And I want to make a pitch for them because these kids have not been ready for school. Yeah. The bigger and bigger populations of kids are coming in at kindergarten, first grade, and they have so many issues. And so the teachers are spending more time with the one or two or three broken kids in their classroom than they are teaching. Because there's actually violence and danger with those kids. They have mm-hmm. these triggers. And one of the last people I talked to about this was a teacher that says simply, don't stand between the child and the door. Because you'll never know what hit you. You know, you didn't even know you said something. Wow. And there's a kid with an explosive thing, and that's what happens to teachers. So everybody's living a harder life because it, of it. It's yeah. just like it, the, the the systemic nature of it is the part that really kind of just like it stops yeah. me here. Like in going, mm-hmm. 
is you see how it breaks down at home. You see how it breaks down at school. You see how it breaks down in the workplace. You see how it breaks down. Like you just see the breakdowns and you mm-hmm. go, and you know, again, you can hear it in you and just go, it's just such a big problem. And it's like, where do you start? Like where, where, <laughs> where do you start? Like that's, that's how, that's, that's the question I keep asking myself as we're just talking about this. It's just like, where do you start? I feel like you're well, thing, digging a hole you, you, while somebody's putting sand in it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you asked the right question, uh, my friend, you, because what happens is if you, if you have a mentored kid, if you're working with a family, if you're doing a thing, it, there's 335 million of us, and there's more of us than there are of them. So really, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's easy enough to do a thing and it could be money, it could be time mm-hmm. uh, and supporting, you know, you find that place that is comfortable to you. The hardest thing in the world really is to find that place that is comfortable to you for volunteer work, for donating money, whatever that is, you know, cause it take, you gotta be comfortable with it. It's mm-hmm. gotta suit you or you won't continue doing it. And the whole idea is that you get into a thing and you'll be there for a while and make a difference. Interesting. I, I'm just like, I know. I'm, I'm just so blown away by like uh, just some of the stuff like where you just, you almost feel <laughs> like you're like the wool gets pulled away from your eyes and you're like, whoa. Yeah. There's definitely an amount of exposure that is yeah. happening. That is, um, it sheds, it sheds light to the, the systemic issues, but how that creates a ripple effect too with our education system, how it impacts the teachers, how it impacts, um, it just all, there's that ripple effect. That's all I have to say. <laughs> it's it's pretty. We forget how lucky we are with just having the skills. You know, I tell people I can get drunk and run my car into a bridge abutment and I'll be at work the next day. You know, I'll, I'll, something, you know something's going to go right for me somehow. But yeah. there's a lot of people that are living on the edge. The truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and these kids that I'm talking about today, if they don't get that kind of help, and there's a lot of them, you know, mm-hmm. I had 25 years ago, 20 years ago, one of the psychological people that we listen to that does presenting, his name escapes me right now, but he made the prediction that a third uh, or more Americans are going to be special needs people within X number of years. And I do believe we hit that. I do believe that. Can you say that one more time? Repeated well, again. special needs. Yes. Uh, he his he was a, a psychiatrist, child psychiatrist, and uh, and he spoke here at uh, anyways uh, some years ago about about how this mental health issue was growing and growing and growing because exponential growth in tri- in generational child abuse is really what's happening. When I started, there was one or two kids per family member in the court system. Now there's four. And I think it'll be five, six, or seven in a few years. Holy smokes. Because these are young mothers. They want love in their life. You know, we have developed this system that works the way that it's the snake eating its tail. I mean, they never get out of the system. It's just so interesting as we're talking about this. I'm just, I keep going like, like I keep asking myself. Well, first of all, I keep saying how grateful I am for, Mm. you know, the birth lottery that you know i won yeah and you won and we all won like i mean it but it's completely but at the other end i'm like how, i just how do you keep hope through this right 
Well, you look at it like a soldier. I tell volunteers this, that you can't let it make you crazy. And their secondary trauma does happen. You have to mm-hmm. manage that. I, mm-hmm. I'm i a bit nuts. My wife and I have a, uh, a kind of an, a standing agreement that I'm careful around it with what I talk about because she is not. She does, you know, and I understand that. Yeah. I mean, well, and uh, so for the rest of us that can do this, and of course she does many other things, you know, and she lets me do this on top of the thing she does. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to who we are and the family we are in, uh, we have to pick carefully the things that we're going to get involved in. And uh, decisions are reversible, but try some things. There's really a whole raft of nonprofits struggling like ours, you know, we have a financial literacy program. We've got the Invisible Children Campus Program. Um, there's a, well, the book doesn't really matter so much to others, but uh, the idea is that talking about it, getting the word out, helping mm-hmm. people in individual areas of their life. I'm done with the Castle Guardian Lighting Program. I don't take cases anymore because that reached a point after 12 years of being just overwhelming. And, uh, yeah, sure. Fair enough. You have to do something else. Well, we, we really haven't talked about the in, in, Invisible Children Campus Program. Do you want to take just a couple minutes here in our segment yeah. and talk a little bit about it? Thank you. Yeah, it's like a traveling trade show. It's a big deal. And okay. they're eight by eight, double-sided backlit, and they tell stories. And the concept is to connect with the college or the community center or whatever that is. And they have whatever level of involvement they want. If they have a volunteer force to help us set it up, and bring in some nonprofits to uh, uh, tell people about who they are, what they do, and we can help them find volunteers, help them find uh, donations. We can do that on campus or in a community setting. We came close, so we had a discussion with a large hospital some years ago about showing up for that. Hmm. And, and otherwise it can just show up and tell its own story. We'd like to grow that with more video and more other things, but. Uh, we believe that that could be a big a big deal on college campuses to light the fire of understanding of all the things that we are talking about here today, because it's one of those things that doesn't get talked about. It's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and uh, people euphemize and obfuscate mm-hmm. about it and mm-hmm. avoid it when they can. But we want to bring the conversation in the community. It's like mental health. Once you start talking about it, it's a lot easier to just say, "Yeah, that's what that is. I got some of that, or sure. I got some of that." Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's that's exactly what I did. Is we were talking here, so I'm like, yeah, I, I can understand that component mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, and then I'm sure that you did the same. And you're just so. I, I just can't imagine a situation where these kids are in where they're dealing with all of those things, not just one, right. <laughs> like all of them, <laughs> and how we can expect them to, you know, function. And so it's it's. You're right. I, I I think going back to like, how do you start is you create awareness. You yep. create awareness of this is a real thing. Just as you've done. And and what a great place to do it at, on the college campus. I think that's right. a really powerful place to do it. There, there's typically a lot of motivation to change the world there. A lot mm-hmm. of motivated people. So I, I think that that's a really wonderful program and um, excited to see that grow. Yes. Mike, we, we want to take the opportunity to just say thank you so much. We're wrapping up here with our show. So thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been great. As a reminder, you are listening to Searching for Service. It's time to stop searching and start serving. Mm-hmm.